1: This is the Hockey News Podcast.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy. We are continuing our previews of every division for the 2021-22 NHL season. We move on now to the Central Division, which now has eight teams. The Arizona Coyotes are joining that division, and they will be the team we start with. We are. Continuing the format from last episode, we're going to start at the bottom of each division in our projected standings and work our way up. So Ryan, we're going to start with Arizona and we're going to start with the likes. If you can find any, what do you like about the Coyotes for this season?
1: Well, I'm a positive person, Matt. I can always find something to like about a team. What I like about the Arizona Coyotes is they only have three forwards under contract after this season. <laughs> Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, and Andrew Ladd. Uh, and then they have two RFAs uh, in Lawson Kraus and uh, Christian Fisher. Other than that, they have three first-round draft picks and five second-round draft picks for the 2022 draft. They could very well add to that haul. Uh, by the time the trade deadline is over. This is a team that is obviously tearing it down to the studs. GM Bill Armstrong is remaking this franchise. He's already uh, remade the front office and and done a lot of things there. So, I mean, this is a team that I I don't think they're going to be very good this season, but they're putting themselves in a position to have success long-term. This is just the beginning. And I also like Jacob Chikrin. I think he had a a monster campaign last year and I expect more of the same from him. So at least you've got sort of a cornerstone guy that you can say, okay, we're building around Chikrin and whatever picks and prospects we can accumulate. And, And obviously they've already started that process.
0: It's true. And it's funny with Chikrin. And I've said this over and over on this podcast throughout the years. It's the old adage of the big first round defenseman that takes a while to get his offense going. We saw it with Chikrin. We saw it with Darnell Nurse, Aaron Eckblad, Victor Hedman. You go further back, Chris Pronger. It's just like it's a time-honored tradition. And I think people forget how young Jacob Chikrin Chikrin still is. And in his draft year leading up, he was someone I remember a year out, we were we were looking at him as a possible top three pick. So the pedigree was really strong there for Jacob Chickren. I wrote under likes I wrote I wrote literally wrote, um, no pressure on the team with a question mark, because this roster obviously is absolutely barren. And it's clay that the new coach, Andre Tourigny, will be able to mold. And I think he does have a really good reputation. He's coming from the 67s, of course, and also the World Juniors with Team Canada. And from what I understand, he's known as a coach that really preaches accountability. So he's going to sort of I think take control of this team and maybe with the youth that's coming in, they're going to need someone like that. They can follow who can be a real leader and kind of guide these kids and give them that the motivation that they might need. Um, and, you know, there are some cheap kind of reclamation projects that Arizona picked up in the offseason. Shane ghosts Bear, ghost bear. If you want to call him ghost bear, I think there's nowhere to go but up. For him i think he has a chance to make waves on the power play and even someone like dimitri askin who again in his major junior days was a pretty decent prospect coming up with the blues but he never really broke through as more than a checker he was a prolific scorer though in junior he went over to the khl and really dominated and now he's coming back and it'll be interesting to see if he can bring the scoring with him this time that's someone to keep an eye on and i guess you could argue sometimes this is a good thing sometimes it's a bad thing but there's no one really blocking the rookies. So if someone like Victor Soderstrom is ready on defense, he's going to get an opportunity. Jan Yennick last year got a brief opportunity and looked pretty impressive. And maybe even I think you referenced it in a previous podcast, Ryan, Dylan Genther, who he doesn't really have much competition for a job if he shows enough in camp. So if you like that mentality of giving the kids the opportunity right away, great. You could argue at the same time that you know you don't want to throw the kids in when they haven't earned it. So it's a matter of whether they've actually earned the job. Clayton Keller as well, you know, he, he's still a generator. He's not really reached the heights of his rookie season, but I still think there's time. And I still think he's doing a pretty good job as someone who can get his chances. So maybe we're going to see an offensive breakout there. I don't think it's, it's too late. But what do you not like about the, the Coyotes right now, Ryan?
1: Well, scoring is going to be a problem for them. Uh, Their depth at center is really weak, uh, particularly after trading Christian Dvorak to Montreal. Their defensive depth isn't great either. Uh, Goaltending, you got Carter Hutton and Joseph Coronar. Um, That is probably a downgrade from last year. And, you know, this team was uh, not fantastic last year to begin with. So, I mean, they have a lot of holes um you know again you know we're looking to the future here uh you made a great point about andre tourney uh he just brought mario duamel uh with him who is his assistant coach with the ottawa 67 so he'll be joining the coyotes as well um you know i mean connor timmons i think you can add in with shane Gossesbear as a, a player who could really surprise but you know overall this is a team that's probably gonna get smacked around a bit in that central division at, at least this season, and, and then we'll see what the summer will bring, how quickly they want to sort of uh, compete.
0: You're right. And it's tough too when a team is already pretty barren uh, in terms of talent and you lose Connor Garland, who has been probably their best goal scorer the last couple of seasons. Oliver ekman Larson, yes, he was a little bit maligned and he hasn't lived up to his contract, but that's still a big chunk of minutes you're taking out of that lineup. It's going to be hard to replace. Even Michael Bunting, who was quite a nice success story. 10 goals in 21 games. He's gone now as well. So you lose that little injection of scoring. Um, And I I do think it's getting close to time to worry about Barrett Hayton, who went fifth overall in that 2018 draft and has really not looked like someone who justified that draft status. Um, You never know because Turinio obviously was his assistant coach at the World Juniors a couple years ago. So maybe there's a little connection there uh, that can be fostered and help kind of unlock Hayton's potential. Um, But overall, I I agree. It's just, It's one of the most talent-bearing rosters in the league, and goaltending was a real strength for the Coyotes with Darcy Kemper and Ranta. and now you've got Carter Hutton as your projected starter, and with all due respect to Carter Hutton, he was deemed not good enough for Buffalo. (laughs) That's not a great sign, right? So I don't know. I don't know about that one with all due respect to him. Uh, What's your general outlook? I think we understand where the Coyotes sit, but just give me a summary.
1: Shane Wright or Bust? Uh, this is a team that I, I believe will compete for the first pick overall. And and having said that, if they get it, Shane Wright is the franchise center that you could build your forwards around. So I mean, it it all kind of lines up uh, if Arizona does indeed get that first overall pick.
0: I agree. I don't think there's an, a team in the league uh, that is more unabashed as a tanker than the Coyotes this year just trading Dvorak for futures right before the season starts really just completely tips your hand right you just know exactly what the Coyotes are doing I remember talking to Bill Armstrong right after he got the job and he, he said something along the lines of like it's a dirty mess it's time to clean it up or it, it was that kind of language right he understands he's just taking a wrecking ball to this thing and I think the Coyotes like I, I think they're almost behaving like they want to win only ten games, and you also have the Gila River Arena lease, which is not renewed after this season. So I don't, we don't even know for sure that the Coyotes are going to remain in Arizona. I don't know if you could put something together quickly to move them to Houston, which is in the Central Time Zone. It's hard to say if that can come together that quickly. But it did happen when the Jets moved in 2011 to Winnipeg, right when they went back to the from Atlanta to Winnipeg. That, that came together really quickly. So you never know. But either way, I think it's clear this team is just. They're tanking with a capital T. Uh, Let's move on to it's crazy. It shows you how uh, tough this division is. You know, we're at number seven, and we're talking about a team that was in the playoffs last year, the Nashville Predators.
1: Well, I like Nashville's defense still, uh, even though they've lost some players over the years. You still got Roman Yossi. Matthias Acome, they bring in bring in Philippe Myers from Philadelphia via trade, and Dante Fabro is still growing into his position as a blue liner. So, I mean, just those four guys right away, that's a pretty solid defense core, particularly if Fabro and Myers. Uh, can really find their spots along two very established players in Yossi, who obviously has a Norris Trophy, and Matthias Ekholm, who I think is seen as one of the sort of unsung heroes of defense in the NHL. Where it's like if you know, you know. So I mean, Nashville they can always fall back on that, uh, you know. And goaltending has been pretty decent. Um, you know, UC Saros. I'm long-term viability. I'm I'm sure I'm still not sold uh, in terms of playoffs. Uh, based on his size but I mean regular season he can certainly get the job done so I think you know scoring on Nashville is not going to be the easiest thing
0: for sure I I just in general I like that David Poyle was not fooled by the late season surge because you know we were talking about the Predators as a big-time seller Philip Forsberg and Matthias Ekholm all those guys were on the block about a month before the trade deadline, then UC Saros plays out of his mind. He was statistically goal saved above average, the best goalie in the league last year. And he carries the Predators into the playoffs. But if you look at the behavior this offseason from David Poyle, they traded Victor Arvidsson for draft picks. They trade Ryan Ellison a deal that brings in Philippe Myers. Uh, and, or that I don't know if that was, that was the same trade, but they, they got obviously Philip Myers. There was a three team trade that also brought Cody Glass to Nashville. And if you just look at the decisions there, it's all a shift toward future. It's, it's getting younger it's moving out veterans. So to me, that says that Poyle understands this team needs to retool or reload and take a step back to go forward. He's not in denial about that. And I think if you're a Pretz fan, that's actually a good, a good sign. And it's also sort of opening up opportunities, right? So someone like Ely Toldman, for example, who was massively hyped a few years ago, he had a really tough learning curve, but last year he showed signs of breaking out. And now he's really not blocked at all in that depth chart. I think he's going to get every opportunity, first powerfully in it, whatever, you, whatever he wants to sort of become the team's marquee goal scorer. Even someone like Phil Tomasino could get – a pretty good opportunity if he can make that team because the depth chart is not clogged with too many veterans on the wings and again I think that's a sign of a franchise that understands what it is right now and it sounds weird to put that in the likes like they know they're not that good but I think it's a positive because the earlier you realize that the quicker you can retool and the Predators I don't think they're too far down the denial river if you will and so good on David Poe for recognizing that what do you not like about the Preds?
1: Well, you know, this was a bottom 10 offense in the NHL last season, and I don't think they got any better. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, losing Arvidsson and, you know, maybe Ailey Tolvanen takes the leap. Uh, I mean, that would obviously help considerably. You know, the knock on him has always been that he's a perimeter shooter and it'll be interesting to see, you know, he'll get more opportunity, but he's also going to get more attention. So how does that balance out? Does Does he – push through does he start going to the harder areas uh because he's got that wicked release so you know we've seen him do a lot of damage internationally if he can do it on the smaller NHL ice then obviously that's huge for the Predators but you know overall I, I still see a forward core that has some pretty expensive guys who have not lived up to their contracts and are not producing at a rate commensurate to their pay they do have Philip Forsberg still, and he is a gem. Um, but I'm worried about how much they can produce, and again, especially in what's going to be a pretty tough division.
0: For sure. And, and Ryan, you're being too nice. You, you, you mentioned you hinted at guys who are not pulling their weight relative to the salary. Let's name names, man. It's Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. They're making $8 million each. Duchesne has five years left. Johansson has four years left. And those two contracts right now, I think, are, you know for lack of a better term, dead weight. And it's hard because they are not performing up to an $8 million standard. They have too much term left to be movable contracts either. So Nashville's kind of stuck with these contracts. And I think they're holding the team back in, in my opinion. And like you said, you've mentioned a couple of times, but just this team offensively is going to be below average. And I don't see them being better when, you know, obviously it's a smart move to bring in youth, but offensively Ryan Ellis is obviously better than Philippe Myers and you're still losing Victor Robertson. So you're taking a step back. To go forward later, but right now, I think offense is going to be a problem uh, for this team. And just in general, it seems like the Predators have been a below average uh, franchise in, in special teams recently as well. So, what's your outlook in, in general on the Preds this year? They were a playoff team last year, but it seems like we're not, we're in agreement, I think, that they're not a playoff team this year.
1: I agree. And, you know, if I was to talk to Preds fans, I would say, look, this is not going to be a fun team to watch this season, but. I would advise you to follow Phil Tomasino, David Ference, Thomas Vomaska, uh, Yaroslav Askarov, you know, wherever those guys end up playing those young players. I mean, as you mentioned, Tomasino could make the roster for sure. I'm almost wondering if David Ference could make it as well, because he is a pure offensive defenseman. And, you know, I mean, obviously Yossi can put up a ton of numbers, but, you know, that sort of Ryan Ellis, that that young Ryan Ellis, I think David Ference could kind of fit that mold if they uh, if they could find a spot for Ference there, um, and then obviously Vomatska and Askaroff are goalies. Um, if you kind of follow those guys, then you can say, okay, well, you know, next year, year after that, could be some fun here. Uh, as for the the current product, it's it's going to be a bit of a slog.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I certainly don't think the Preds are going to be terrible. Like, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league because they're still going to be pretty strong defensively. Yossi should be healthy, and Philip Meyer is still a good addition. Frederick Allard, I think, was really underrated last year. Dante Fabro is going to keep getting better. You still have Matisse Ekholm. You still have UC Saros. So I think this team's actually going to be above average on the defensive side of the puck, but they're just not going to score. So I think they're going to be one of the least exciting teams to watch this season. And I just don't think they quite have the firepower to make the playoffs. Let's move on now to a team that does have a lot of firepower. It's more a question of have they improved in other areas, the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the busiest teams of the offseason. So tell me what you like right now about Chicago.
1: Yeah, well, you mentioned it right off the hop. The offense is still very exciting. Patrick Kane, Alex Dabrinkit, the return of Kirby Dock, hopefully the return of Jonathan Taves full-time. So they're going to be able to score, and they're going to be fun to watch out there. It's, it's really amazing how Patrick Kane He's he's almost found like a, a second life in Chicago. He had those great years, you know, uh, a while ago, and now he's putting up another sort of second Patrick Kane era of great numbers. It's really kind of interesting to watch. Um, and then you got Marc Andre Fleury coming in net, you know, a guy that can obviously, um, you know, steal you some games and stand on his head and has a great personality. So I think in terms of uh, scoring goals and the last line of defense. Uh, Chicago's in pretty good
0: shape. Yeah, I think you're right. And and what's interesting about them is in the Stan Bowman era, that you know the, the mini dynasty era. One of the hallmarks of the team was always being in salary cap hell and having to cast off important pieces and getting more and more top heavy. But this summer with Brent Seabrook, sort of semi-retiring and going on LTIR, for the first time in so long, Chicago had that financial freedom, and they flexed it immediately, of course. They were really busy. They bring in Flurry, like you said, for pretty much nothing, reigning a Trophy winner. They make the big move for Seth Jones, of course, and Caleb Jones. They get Tyler Johnson. They bring in Jake McCabe, who I think is really underrated as a defensive defense, defense defenseman. Juju Kyra as well, who's a really good checking forward, super physical. They added a lot of pieces, so they really – they made it count with all the money that was freed up. Um, and if you look at the existing pieces, like you said, Jonathan Taves, supposedly going to make it back from chronic immune response syndrome, but Patrick Kane's still playing at an elite level. Alex Debrinket, it looks like the bad year he had. Two seasons ago, that was the anomaly. He's back to being one of the top goal scorers in the league. And I think that's the real Alex Dobrynkic. So that's exciting. You have Dominic Kubelik as well. You have some good shooters, aggressive shooters. And Kirby Dock, we haven't really gotten the chance to see him spread his wings yet because of the fact that he got derailed by that thumb injury right at the start of last season, which kind of just killed that momentum. So it's kind of, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but I think there's a lot of potential yet that we haven't gotten to see be realized. Uh, So to me, offensively, this team's going to be able to score a lot. Uh, and and they've sort of established kind of a fire wagon hockey the last couple of years, which has its strength and we'll get to the weaknesses as well, Uh, but they should be fun at the very least. So tell me what you don't like about Chicago right now.
1: Well, I'm still not entirely sold on the defense. You know, Seth Jones is an upgrade from, you know, current Duncan Keith. Um, And, you know, as you mentioned, Jake McCabe is kind of a sleeper guy. Um, Is it enough? To, to compete in this division. I think that's the real X factor because I think they have the parts, um, but it all has to come together. And so I, I don't know if it's, it might be strong to call it a dislike, but I'm just a little suspicious still. I, I, I need to see the the whole defensive product, you know, on the ice before I think I can really make a judgment, but that would be the one area that I would be concerned
0: about. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And, and I think there's a bit of a misconception in terms of what the defense is going to be this season because I don't, I don't know if everyone understands just how bad Chicago was the last couple of years. They were the worst defensive team in the NHL the last couple of years combined at five on five, the most shots allowed per 60 minutes and the highest expected goals against for 60 minutes. And I think the the really important thing to to note here is yes, you're bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury, but Chicago's goaltending has been excellent the last two years. So you're not necessarily, yes, you're getting an upgrade with Marc-Andre Fleury, but it's not like you're going from bad goaltending to good goaltending. You're going from very good goaltending to great goaltending. So in that span, despite being number one in expected goals against for 60, they still had the 11th highest save percentage. Corey Crawford was incredible two seasons ago. Kevin Lankinen was really good for a lot of last season too. So they were already being bailed out by their goaltending. And now you're bringing in another goalie who can bail you out, but it's the same situation actually as the previous year. You really have to clean up your play on the defensive side of the puck. And I've done a lot of work uh, for an upcoming upcoming issue interviewing Seth and his brother, Caleb, of course, you, you heard them on the podcast, talking to Hawks coach, Jeremy Colton as well. And also their mom, Amy. And I think one thing that if there's a saving grace for Jones is that he was in that last season in Columbus, from what I understand, what I've been told, he was asked to do a little more offensively because of all the injuries in Columbus, The bodies were dropping. So many forwards got traded. It was just sort of, everything was crumbling around them. So he had to do more offensively. That could be why he had a bad year defensively. So there is a chance for, I think of recovery there. Uh, But at the same time, I agree with you, Ryan, I think it's sort of a jury still out approach because, because they were so bad defensively, but even a significant improvement, maybe they're only the 20th best team on defense. That would be a big improvement. So it still remains to be seen if that's going to be enough. What is your outlook in general for the Hawks?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm going to half jokingly say, I have no idea. Uh, This is sort of a bellwether team. I think it could go either way for them. And we're sort of getting into that part of the central division that's really up in the air. You know, teams like Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, uh, you know, even Dallas, I know there's varying opinions. It's really going to come down to execution and how teams come together. And I think Chicago is firmly in that camp. For
0: sure. And I I think, yes, they're improved, but it's more of a, okay, everyone just take it down a notch, temper your enthusiasm. They're not going to win the Stanley cup and, you know, improvement might mean they're an 86 point team. That's pretty exciting to watch and and shows progress, but isn't quite all the way there. So I think I'm not ready to call them a playoff team. I think they will be an improved team. It'll be fun to see the Jones brothers out there. It's funny uh, talking to Jeremy Carlton last week, I was like, come on, you got to try them as a pair, right? You got to try them. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And he said, he's like, I'm not going to rule it out. Like, it could be interesting because they do shoot the opposite sides. So they're kind of complimentary. They've never played together as well for or against each other in their entire careers, which is pretty uh, pretty crazy. But I'm hoping to see that pairing just for the fun factor. And I do think Chicago is going to be fun. I just don't know for sure that they're going to be good. Uh, let's move on now to the Minnesota Wild, the team that's sort of on eggshells waiting for Kirill Kaprizov to sign. I admit that I thought he'd be signed by now, but uh, tell me what you like about the Wild.
1: Well, I mean, Kirill Kaprasov is one of the things I like about the Wild, and I'm gonna include him in that category, but he will also show up in the dislikes. Um, Kaprasov, Joel Eriksson Ek, and Kevin Fiala are all in the prime years of their careers. And, you know, I mean, we we suspected Kaprasov would be really good, he was. Uh, Ericsson Eck took a huge leap. Kevin is taking a huge leap. It's really nice to have that young core of uh, forwards for Minnesota. And, you know, Ericsson Eck more of a two-way guy, but, you know, finally you've got some some sizzle on the wild. It's, it's been a long time. Um, so I think it's great to have those high-end elements with a team that, you know, in general is, is pretty sturdy for the most part. So I, that's what I like is just, that uh Minnesota's been they've been fun lately
0: for sure and it's it's cool that they're adding fun because Underneath the fun, they were already pretty sturdy defensively. Um, I think they're a deep team now at They're They're kind of becoming more versatile, like you said. Kaprazov, Fiala bringing the skill. Maybe if Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy make the team, that's another huge influx of skill that could be coming. Even if one of those two makes the team out of camp, that's still quite a shot in the arm. You've got good size on the wings with Jordan Greenway and Marcus Foligno, Nick Butch as well. You get some playmaking from guys like Matt Zuccarello. Obviously, Joel Eriksson, I think he's starting to elevate into that Selkie Trophy perennial favorite conversation. I think he's going to be one of those players. And maybe it's kind of a Sean Couturier type of career path where the offense took a little longer to arrive, but it's coming now for for Joel Eriksson. And we know defensively, Rock solid. They lose Ryan Suter, but I think Alex Goligoski, at his stage of his career, is close enough to a Suter analog that he can fit into that top four with Jonas Brodeen as well and Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba. And the Wild, uh, last couple seasons, they're kind of a bend but don't break team. They, it's not that they are the best in the league at preventing, you know, allowing shots, but they're really good at preventing chances at five on five, and they're the best team in the league the last couple seasons at high danger. Uh, prevention. So it's hard to get quality chances on the wild. And if you do, they have two good goalies right now, Cam Talbot and Capo And They both had their moments last year, but overall, if you think of them as a platoon, it's a really strong platoon. So they're just a hard team to penetrate because they have good defensive forwards. They have good defensemen. They have good goaltenders. As you can tell, I'm kind of high in the wild. I just think they're a really well coached, well run team. That's just kind of disciplined and sturdy. And it's cool that the fun factor is starting to, Uh, kind of come into play because I think the wild for a while were a fairly boring team. What do you not like about the wild?
1: Well, this is a bit of a minor quibble, but you know, that defense core that you mentioned, it it is really solid, uh, even without Ryan Suter, but they're still pretty old. Uh, Matt Dumba is kind of the youngest regular and he's 27 already. So, you know, I'm a little concerned with wear and tear and and what that will mean long-term for the wild uh but again that's sort of a, a minor quibble. We're talking about a pretty decent team here. Uh the other thing would obviously be, be the kaprazov drama. If it doesn't get resolved soon, then you're bleeding into training camp. You're potentially <laughs> into the Excuse regular me. season. Bless you. Uh seasonal allergies.
0: I got them bad. I got them so bad. Worst in 10 years.
1: There you go. Matt's allergic to kaprazov drama. <laughs> it's bad for his uh His reactions. Uh, Yeah. You know, and we saw this uh, a couple of years ago with with William Nylander in Toronto that, you know, you want to get these things done. You want the player under contract as soon as possible so he can get into the flow, you know, particularly since, you know, last year was not a a normal season. You sort of want to get it back on track, especially with a guy that's only been in the league for a short amount of time. So hopefully that'll get solved, you know, within the next week or two.
0: For sure. And I still think, you know, even though the Wild, they have an influx of talent at Ford, which they've been waiting for for a long time. They're not all the way there. I still think, you know, the scouting report is like, if you can neutralize Kaprizov, then they're not going to be able to hurt you too badly. Kevin Fiala, obviously, he's very streaky when he's on. He's pretty dangerous, but he's not that consistent yet. So I still think you can shut them down if you stop those two guys, unless we see that big leap from Boldy or Rossi. And speaking of Rossi, his position highlights what is a glaring need for Minnesota, which is I, I don't think they need just one legitimate offensive center. I think they need two because that's just a, a hole. They don't have a dominator. They don't have a star player who can make other players around him, around him better up the middle. And that's obviously the blueprint for winning the Stanley Cup. It has been for as long as I can remember. So it's not a great sign when – not only do you not have one, I, I would argue that you don't really have two. With all due respect to someone like Victor Rask, he's sort of shoehorned into that job on the Kaprazov line. It kind of revived his career, but look where he was before that, right? So what would Kaprazov do if he had a real number one center on his line? It's kind of fun to think about. And I think the Wild, bear team that really badly needs that, maybe it's Marco Rossi, maybe they have to make a trade. Um, so what is your overall outlook? Are you a believer in the Wild this season?
1: I believe they're a bubble team and I, I think it's going to be a very close division. So that's sort of where I'm comfortable putting them. Uh, I think they can, they can definitely be a playoff team, but they could, uh, they could also have some bad luck and, and just miss.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to make my prediction, assuming that Kaprizov is there, of course. So if he's there, I, I like this team. I think they're underrated. I think they're just really deep and they're, strong in their 200 foot game. And I think their team, obviously they gave Vegas a really good run last year. And I don't think that was a fluke. I think that the while they're legit and as they keep getting their prospects graduating, especially. Do a team that was, I think really unlucky last year, starting the year having to wait because of COVID played a really condensed schedule, the Dallas stars. So what do you like about Dallas Ryan?
1: Well, I mean, this has been a great defensive team over the past few years. I think Rick Bonus has done a tremendous job. Uh, and then they add a very motivated Ryan Souter. You know, we just talked about the Minnesota Wild. Uh, that's the team to bottom out. You know, Ryan Souter is a driven guy who's going to want to prove that, you know, he is not over the hill. He can still give you 22, 23 minutes a night of solid two way hockey. So you add him. To a defense core that already has Miro Haskin in a tremendous young star in the league, um, and a guy like Essa Lindell who just sort of does his job very well and you know doesn't ask for any uh, spotlight. I, I really like the defense core. The offense is going to get Tyler Sagan back, and you know in Sagan's absence, Rupi Hins and Dennis Gurianoff stepped up. So you've got that you know that continuing to rise young group. And then you've still got the old guard of Sagan and Ben. I think the timing is really good for this Dallas team to put together another sort of sleeper run, uh, because I don't think they're going to be anybody's favorites necessarily, but this is the type of team that they're just really nasty to play against in the playoffs. Not because they're particularly, you know, physical or dirty or anything like that, but they're just really efficient and really structured Um, so I, I think they have the makings of a very good team.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you. And, um, I do love that decor. You also have Esa Lindell back there and John Klingberg, Esa Lindell, one of the best penalty killers in the game. And yes, you did lose Jamie Alexiak just as he was blossoming, but bringing in Suter and also Yanni Hakenpah was a nice addition too. that guy. He he's physical. He just throws his weight out there a ton. And if that's your number five, I think that's pretty solid. Uh, and I just like, you know, if we look at the peak of the, Ben Sagan and Radulov trio a few years ago. That was when Dallas was characterized as very much a one-line team. And it was, there was a lot of hand wringing over the, over Dallas's early round picks, whether it was Faxa or Dennis Garano guys like that, that weren't really blossoming and reaching their potential yet, but eventually they started to, they just bloomed a little bit late and you, I think that was especially true for Rupe Hintz, mm. who I think was actually one of the most dominant players in the league last year. And he I've said this many times before. He's just a really difficult player to match up against because he's quite big, but he's also quite fast and he's a center. He just he does a lot of different things. Well, he's just very tough to contain. He had great chemistry with Joe Pavelski and Jason Robertson. And now that is that's your, your number one line. So it takes a lot of pressure off. Tyler Sagan, Jamie Brand, Jamie Ben, even Dennis Gurianov, or Alexander Radulov. They don't have to be the top scorers on the team anymore. That can be your secondary group. And I think if those are your secondary guys, it's like, okay, that's not bad. And in net, you know, I don't know what on earth Dallas is doing. I think Jake Ottinger is ready to just be the starter. He was pretty good last year. But despite that, if you have Braden Holpe, Anton Kadobin, Jake Ottinger, we assume Ben Bishop is out. But the other trio – Someone's going to be stopping the puck pretty well for you between that trio. So I would say in general, goaltending is a, is a plus for Dallas, even if I don't agree with how they're deploying it. Uh, do you see any problems with Dallas right now? Things you don't like?
1: Well, you know, I think injuries kind of loom with this team. And, you know, I think it's just kind of bad luck. Um, you know, you mentioned Ben Bishop, you know, will he play this season? You know, how, how is he coming along? And obviously they, they've got their contingency plans uh, bringing in Braden Holtby, keeping Anton Kudobin, and I, as you mentioned, a great young goalie in Jake Ottinger. Um, but, you know, Sagan's coming back from a, a really serious injury. You know, how is he doing? They do have some older players on this squad. So can they stay healthy enough um, that they can make a long run? Again, it's, it's not a major concern because you can't predict injuries, but this is a team that has been stung by them uh, very recently and in a big way so I think it's something to keep an
0: eye on for sure and uh, age is is definitely a factor Um, according to EliteProspects.com the stars are the third oldest team in the NHL average age is 28.96 and they're the oldest team in the Western Conference so time is definitely running out it's a bit of a creaky team Um, and if you look at Tyler Sagan Hip surgery, right? You see, Nikita Kucherov is the major success story. Story coming off the hip surgery, Uh, he's a little bit younger than Sagan. I think he's. I think Kucherov was drafted a year after Sagan. Um, but Kucherov also, you can make a case that he's the exception. If you look at what happened to Ryan Kessler, his career was never the same. Once he started having those hip problems and Sagan's own teammate, his own great buddy, Jamie Ben had hip surgery. I think he had surgery on both hips, if I'm not mistaken. And he's someone whose game sort of fell off a cliff and he went from an elite player to more of a secondary player in a hurry. His body is aged quickly and he he's also someone that had, had hip problems. So. We don't know for sure if Tyler Sagan's ever going to be the same. Uh, and if that starts to crumble, Radulov obviously is getting up there too. Then your secondary group maybe is not as sturdy as it might seem because the age is really uh, high. So I think that there is a sense of urgency with Dallas. Even the fact that you're signing Ryan Souter, that basically is holding a sign saying, yes, we need to win now. So I know, Ryan, you're pretty bullish on Dallas. So give us your overall outlook on why you like this team.
1: Yeah, I think they're a sleeper pick to, to go to the cup final, maybe even win it. I think they have all the elements. It's, you know, it's going to take some good fortune, but I think they have all the elements. Like I say, they're not the type of team that's going to finish first in their division necessarily, but they're the type of team that could really grind you down in a playoff series. And, and obviously they have the, the scoring and the goaltending as well.
0: For sure. And and it's funny, a year ago I projected Dallas to take a big step backward. This year I'm going the exact opposite. And it's it's mainly because of hints and Robertson when your key players are, yes, you're an old team, but your most important important players now are your young guys. So it's Hinson, Robertson, and it's, of course, Muir Heiskanen. So when it's the youth movement that's actually taking the torch to be the high-impact players, then it's okay if your secondary guys are old. So I do think we're going to see a nice bounce back in Dallas. Let's move on now to the St. Louis Blues. I think this is a pretty hard team to project, um, but tell me what you like about them.
1: Well, they still have a deep, heavy forward core um, adding Pavel Bucinavich and Brandon Saad. Uh, I thought that was, that was pretty good. Uh, you know, you lose Sammy Blay. Uh, you know, we're not sure about Tarasenko right now, but you know, Bucinavich had a better season than Tarasenko last year. And there's no reason to suspect that that's going to drop off. You know, Bucinavich is still a pretty young guy. Uh, the defense is still great. You know, guys like Tori Krug and Colton Pareko, uh, they run pretty deep back there. I, I think that they have, you know What they've had the past few seasons, which was uh, a lineup that's really going to lean on you. And of course, they still have Ryan O'Reilly as their, their marquee two-way center. I mean, this is a team that's going to compete every night and they're going to win more often than not.
0: For sure, and it helps. So you know they do have a lot of holdovers from the 2019 Cup team. Of course, it's not too far removed from that that season. You know Ryan O'Reilly, Colton Pareko in defense, Jordan Bennington, net, Braden Shen, uh, and I just I, I'm, like you said with with Saden I really like St. Louis's top nine. I, I I think it's super deep and it's versatile. You have strength up the middle, of course, with O'Reilly and and, and with Braden Shen, and you have some exciting youth. Jordan Cairo, I think, really showed some nice progress last year, Robert Thomas, obviously he was injured. He was injured last year. So he's, his growth is sort of stunted, but there's still a lot of time for him to figure it out as well. And there's not a ton of pressure on him because that group is really deep. Uh, and then David Perron, he's so underrated. He goes out there. He can play on any line. He can play left wing or, wing or right wing. He can play power play and he just gets his points. And he's someone who I just think goes out and does it every year. And no one talks about him, but that's another valuable piece of that top nine. Um So I think to me, that's the strength, which is weird. you don't, you know, the blues for so long, they've been known as a team that strength is, is I think the decor, but I think it's kind of reversed right now. And I think the forward group is actually the strongest part of the team. What problems do you see with the blues right now?
1: Well, I think we're at the point where we have to ask if Jordan Bennington is just an average goalie Um, hasn't won a series since that magical Stanley cup run which makes, you know, and I, I've talked to some experts on this, you know, with with other NHL teams. And, you know, they, they point out that some goalies, they sort of hit their peak right away, uh, whereas other goalies might struggle early on. And you sort of say, OK, well, that guy's not an NHL starter. But then over time, you know, they get a second chance and, and you say, oh, OK, well, maybe the first impression was wrong there. So it, it can go either way with Bennington you know, his first real exposure to the NHL was fantastic, you know, goes all the way to a Stanley Cup uh, championship. But after that, I mean, it's been a struggle. If you look at his numbers, they're not great, uh, especially in the playoffs. And for the Blues, I mean, you're you're still in your window. So if you can't get above average goaltending, eventually you're going to run into another team that can compete with you in terms of skaters, but will best you in net. And then you're kind of sunk. So I think Bennington needs to step up or St. Louis is going to be kind of stuck as a team that can maybe win around, but probably can't win too.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, with Bennington, the last two seasons in five on five. So 69 goalies have played at least a thousand minutes in the last two seasons. Okay. So that's almost like the entire population of starters and backups. Um, And Bennington's 26th in, in goals saved above average per 60 minutes. So he grades out as starter material, right? If you're in the top 32 um, but still just only slightly above average relative to the group. Um, So to me, it's like, okay, what does that mean for the blues identity if they're, Goalie who seemed to be elite is just like, he's fine. He's pretty good. That may be the case. It's still, you know, there's still time in his career to change that reputation, but it's still something to consider. Um, And, you know, it's weird to say, but I I actually think that the D core now is a weakness, not even, not not only is it not a strength, I look at it on paper now and I'm like, hmm, because obviously you lost Alex Petrangelo last season. You lose Vince Dunn this offseason, so there's more pressure on Tory Krug. Tory Krug was fine last year. I just don't think he was as dominant as he was in Boston. You have Colton Pareco but in general, like, you know, Justin Falk obviously had a good year too, but you're not very deep, and you're really going to need someone like Scott Perunovich or Jake Wallman to take a step forward. It's really important. If that doesn't happen, then I think this is quite a shallow group on defense, and if Jordan Bennington is okay, it's like, hmm, Is this going to be a team that actually gives up more goals than people think it's going to give up and Vladimir Tarasenko as well. It's just, you know, we don't know if he's ever going to be the same after having three surgeries on the same shoulder and that's supposed to be your top goal scorer, but without him, it's weird. I I sound like I'm kind of being contradictory here, but The offense is deep. I really like the forward group, but maybe you don't have a superstar right now. You don't have someone who can take the team on his back and get you a goal when you really need a goal, which Tarasenko, he was that player probably five years ago, right? But I don't think he is now. So that's a little bit worrisome for me. Uh, But but what's your overall summary on, on how you feel about the Blues
1: right now? Well, I think a deep run is possible with this team. Uh, Bennington's going to be the X factor, but they have all the elements to, you know, cont- you know, they're in that Stanley Cup window. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they made another deep run. Could they win it all? Uh, you know, maybe with this group, but I also don't think this is the final group we'll see in St. Louis. I think there are moves to be made. Uh, obviously, Tarasenko is the, the name out there that we'll have to keep an eye on. Not only now, but just throughout the season to see what happens. But deep run, certainly possible.
0: Yeah, to me, the Blues are a really high floor team. Like I can't see this team being bad at all. I think the team is going to be above average. I think it's an easy playoff team. I just don't know if they're going to be much more than that because of the holes that they do have. So to me. A secondary contender, but not really a true Stanley Cup threat. If you're watching right now, my nose is wiggling. I have another sneeze coming. My God, my allergies this year are so bad, even while I'm talking. So there could be a sneeze coming. I apologize. Right. Uh, now we're getting to the top two teams in the league, and this is one that we're, I think it's a pretty bold play. Uh, we got the Winnipeg Jets in a tough division, all the way up at number two. So let's talk Jets. Tell me what you like about this team right now.
1: Well, I think GM Kevin Sheveldayoff addressed the big need, uh, which was defensive depth. You know, Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, they really fortify that defense core. You know, Josh Morrissey, I thought he's been really good lately, but now he doesn't have to do so much heavy lifting. He's got a lot more support. Uh, I think that's fantastic because the offense is still potent. You got Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler. I mean, they've got the elements. Uh, And then Connor Halebuck and Net still one of the best in the league. So you have everything you need. Um, You no longer have that weak point on defense where guys were probably trying to do, uh, not that they were trying to do too much, but just they had to cover more than necessary. Guys like Morrissey and Neil Pionk. So I think this is a team that um, they've got it all. And now it's just a matter of going out there and executing.
0: For sure. And I, I like the expression got it all because we know that they were established with some very enviable strengths with that amazing forward depth star power. Nikolai Ehlers took such a big leap forward. And I still think Kyle Connor is underappreciated really fast, one of the better goal scorers in the league. Mark Sifley, it goes on and on. Connor Hellebuck, of course, one of the best goalies in the world. But we know that part of the reason why Hellebuck had that great reputation and won the Vezina was because he was doing such heavy lifting, bailing out a team that was leaving him hanging out to dry, allowing some really high quality chances. So bringing in Brendan Dillon, who's just a great penalty killer and just, you know, big wingspan and and Nate Schmidt as well. I think it really changes the identity of the franchise. And I also am really interested to see what happens with Pierre-Luc Dubois. So I'll tell a story from this happened yesterday. So, um, the NHL had its player media tour. We did a bunch of interviews with players from Canadian teams. Uh, and one of the most interesting ones was with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And we asked him about, you know, what happened last year. It was such a down year for him. And he was really frank. And he said, you know, he's like, I don't even like saying this because it sounds like an excuse, but it wasn't because we asked him about it. And what he explained was the whole year he was playing catch up because there were COVID problems where he wasn't even allowed to train for a while. Then he gets traded. He's quarantined. He can't be with the team he couldn't train at first he's spending the whole year trying to catch up he's out of breath just he's not even in game shape he thought it took half a year until he could even be in proper game shape and as mark shifley said we also talked to mark shifley yesterday he couldn't bond with the team you know you arrive on a new team you've quarantined you have to do most of your bonding over zoom you can't go out to dinners and do all the things that bring a team together so to me everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for Dubois last season. And that's not the real him. And I think he did a really good job explaining it in a a way that made a lot of sense why he had a down year. And I I expect a really big bounce back from him because he had a proper summer to train and get himself into great shape. So that's to me, you could say it's in a, it's in a dislike category, but I think it's a like when there's nowhere to go but up for Dubois. I think he's set up for a much better year and we know the potential is still vast with him. Uh, Do you see any problems, any, any warts on the jets right now?
1: Well, I didn't like how they left the playoffs last year. I think they went out really soft and, you know, losing Mark Shifley early on to suspension obviously did not help, but there's something there that lingers where you sort of say, okay, is there something wrong with this group? And again, you know, Brendan Dillon, I think will really help in that respect. Um, But there is just sort of that lingering odor of, of how they went out that makes me wonder if this group, uh has what it takes if they have that edge to to go all the way
0: yeah for sure and, and and i think it's fair to kind of pick an intangible because you know we're at we're nearing the top we're at the number two team in the division now and there obviously aren't too many things we don't that we dislike about the team and i i, I actually had a hard time deciding what i don't like so it's a sign that you know we must think the jets look pretty balanced this year. But I do think there's a lot of pressure on this group. This has got to be the year, I think, to break through. They finally fixed the problems on D. And I think there's pressure on Josh Morrissey. I think that when Jacob Trouba was in town, Morrissey was really blossoming as a premier defenseman in the league. I don't think he's been nearly as good since that trade happened. And I don't even know for sure if he's a true number one defenseman. So he's got the support now, as you said, Ryan, and it's up to him now to show he can still be that number one guy. He's still young enough. Uh, so give me a summary on the Jets, the outlook.
1: It's time for a long run. Uh, we've been waiting for it for, I mean, a long time now, at least five years. Uh, it's time. It's time for Winnipeg to, you know, play in a conference final, maybe even play in a Stanley Cup final. This is this is the time to do it.
0: For sure. And, and it's a rare Off season in which I think armchair GMs and real GMs were completely on the same page. It was like, come on, you know, fans on Twitter, we need we need defense, we need defense. And then Kevin Chevelday off is like, Well, guess what? I got you some defense. And I think there's a nice synergy there where everyone's happy, at least from what I've seen, it seems like Jets fans. Are pretty pleased with what was done in the offseason. So I like the moves as well. I just think it's a team that has nowhere to go but up as well with those moves. We're at the top of the division now, probably the sexiest team in the NHL, the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> but the first thing I wrote under likes was just lol. But uh, what do you <laughs> like about this team?
1: Well, I mean, the high end elements are fantastic. Um, you know, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog that's fantastic up front. Kale McCarr, Devontave, Samuel Girard on defense. That's an amazing start for a blue line that obviously has other elements as well. You know, Nathan McKinnon could win the Hart Trophy. Kale McCarr could win the Norris Trophy. If you have both of those trophies on your team, that's pretty darn good. So, you know, Colorado, they're going to be able to score. They're going to run you over. They're going to be able to transition the puck um, from the back end. They're going to be to carry it. They, they have power play quarterback. They're going to get offense from the blue line um this is a team that is really set when it comes to all those elements
0: for sure and i think what's underrated about the avalanche is they were the best defensive team in the nhl they were so exciting last year especially with because miko renton and Who has profiled as a really good playmaker, an elite passer, suddenly starts showing real goal scoring chops last season as well. So that extra diversification is terrifying. But with Kale McCarr and Devontae of Samuel Gerard, all these guys, they're modern NHL defensemen. None of them is very big. They look like, if you're just watching with your eyeballs, offensive defensemen, but they were all elite. Defenders as well, no team in the league did a better job preventing scoring chances, even though the Avalanche are known as such a high octane team. They're really dominant at both ends of the ice. And they have really good, I think they're sort of their next wave. Their veteran support players are really helpful. Mazum Kadri is pretty versatile if he's staying, you know, out of the principal's office. Uh, Andrew burakovsky is someone who he it's like he's the understudy i call him the understudy because if, if landis Cogger or Rantanen gets hurt he just like puts on he could like put on one of their jerseys and just be them for a night and he can sort of help that line stay seamlessly good um, and even this the third wave guys who were pretty high-end prospects when they first broke into the league tyson jost Valerie Nichushkin, they've sort of found their roles too and they've kind of understood that they're better off as defensive players and they do those jobs quite well so there's really good balance there are there any problems that you see are there any just sort of weak
1: spots well i mean i think they got worse over the uh season and uh, a lot of it was because of the salary cap they lost philip grubauer he ended up signing as a free agent with seattle um you know i mean darcy kepper a, a very good goaltender in his own right But Grubauer was a finalist for the Vesna Trophy. You you can't get too much better than that. Um, And then, you know, losing Brandon Saad, that's a guy with tremendous experience. He's got cup rings. He can do a lot of stuff out there. He's a heavy player. Um, You know, they didn't really replace him. And, you know, I I guess they, you know, internally guys can step up. You know, I'm I'm sure we'll see more from Alex Newhook this year. Totally different player from Brandon Saad, but brings a lot of skill to the table. Um, but overall, you know, this is a team that I, we expected them to go further last year uh, and then they got worse. So I'm not really sure. I mean, maybe it was just a blip and you know, they're going to reset, refocus because they obviously have the talent. But uh, I, I can't say this is the best abs team of this, uh, this era because that would have been last year.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I do think that last season was a pretty crucial missed opportunity because you obviously had Kale McCarr needing his new contract and Gabriel Landeskog needing his new contract. So you had a crucial window there when your your team could be a lot more stacked. And now, like you said, you have to throw a lot of bodies overboard because you had to pay Landeskog and McCarr. You lose Grubauer and Darcy Kemper. You know, the Avalanche are making a pretty big bet there that he can be as good. Uh, he's never had to play in these kind of stakes before. He's just been kind of languishing in Arizona where it almost felt like he was barely noticed. He was playing great hockey, but he also was not the most durable. He and Antiranta both had injury problems. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he holds up to What I assume will be a larger workload because the avalanche want him to be their guy. So I think there's a pretty fair, uh, The risk, considering this is a team that wants to win the Stanley Cup, I do think there's a risk factor in terms of what they're doing in net. Uh, Outlook, is this still the team to beat? Are they the best team in the league? Where do you land on the scale with with Colorado?
1: Yeah, I mean, they should go for the Stanley Cup this year. That's basically the expectation. They've got the horses to do it. It's about executing. Uh, It's about focusing uh, when you're faced with diversity in the playoffs and obviously staying healthy. But I mean, they've got the lineup to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think they are elite, and I don't blame anyone for picking them to win the Stanley Cup. They're the best defensive team in mm-hmm. hockey. What's extra terrifying about Colorado is that so many of their good players are ascending. It's like Kale McCarr's not even in his prime yet. Neither is Taves. Probably not Ranton either. You have, like you said, Newhook. You have Bone Byron. You have a really good farm system, too. So that's terrifying. I just still wonder, you know, the goaltending's a gamble. And if I'm Joe Sakic, if I'm Joe Sackick. I'm just sending a message every once in a while to Tuka Rask, texting him like, you up? You up, bro? How's it going? What you watching on Netflix? You good? How's the hip? You feeling good? Just start a little relationship there just in case Darcy Kemper gets hurt or it doesn't work out. And, you know, let's say Boston's really happy with Linus Elmark and Jeremy Swayman. They decide they don't need to also have Tuka Rask. You hit January, or February, and then you bring in Tuka Rask to be your starter and carry you to the cup. Just keep that in the back of your mind, Joe Sacking, okay? Uh, let's get to some listener questions, just a couple. Uh, first one is from sportpassion.de. Besides the Coyotes, um, all the teams have hoped to reach the playoffs and made a lot of moves. Who will be the most disappointed fan base and why? I think Blackhawks fans, because there's going to be a lot of hype over this team. You made so many splashy moves. Seth Jones, Mark Henry Fleury. There's going to be new jerseys in the stands like crazy. Um, but I just think, because like we said, the the defensive woes are still a lot to overcome that maybe they won't meet expectations.
1: I agree. I think it's going to be Chicago. Uh, you know, if they were in another division, maybe you could pencil them in as a surefire playoff team. But in the central, I think they're going to have some trouble and a, a lot would have to go right. A, a lot of new guys need to come together. Uh, and... I, Maybe it'll happen, but I would brace myself for a season without playoffs.
0: All righty. And we'll do one more. This is from Sabres Tank 2.0. Are the Blues contenders no matter if they keep Tarasenko or get rid of him? I personally think they're better off getting rid of him because we know they're in a position where if they trade Tarasenko, it's not going to be for futures. It means it's going to be a hockey trade. So they're going to be bringing in someone who can also make an impact and maybe someone that has a lower injury risk than Tarasenko. So to me, I think for all parties, and also it could be a distraction because Tarasenko requested a trade. He's still there. I don't know how that's going to affect that dressing room as well. So to me, it's best for all parties if Tarasenko is traded.
1: Mm. I think they can still be contenders. And as I mentioned earlier, I think Butchnevich can cover the Tarasenko offense, maybe even improve on what Tarasenko has been able to give St. Louis the past two years, because obviously he's had the injuries and hasn't been as effective. Um, So given that, they might even be a bit better uh, between Bachnevich and Saad. If they trade Tarasenko, obviously they're going to get something back in return. Um, Anything that they get in the present, I think at this point would be kind of gravy. But yeah, I think they should be good to go.
0: Alrighty. uh, So we're going to end the podcast. I promised that we would use the rapid fire. We didn't have time to do last week. So we will carry it over. I'm ready, Ryan, for your second shot at this rapid fire.
1: All right, let's do it. I was worried that I was going to be like Lindsay Buckingham on uh, what up with that from SNL from a couple of years ago. (laughs) Oh man. uh, So good. Great reference. Here we go. Okay. Scones versus buttermilk biscuits. Who you got?
0: I missed the first part, but what did you say?
1: Scones.
0: Oh, scones. Okay.
1: Or buttermilk biscuit?
0: Uh, I'm, a, I'm a buttermilk biscuit. I like Southern cooking, baby.
1: Nice. Yes, me too. I've been making them on the regular uh, during the pandemic. They're fantastic. Uh, I'm not really an English tea guy, so scones, you're boring. Sorry. And the uh, dry, man. That's right. Second, who leads the Coyotes in scoring this year?
0: <sighs> oh, man. Jacob Chikrin.
1: I agree. Once again, I think it's going to be Jacob Chikrin, Uh, because I don't know who Clayton Keller is going to pass to because uh, Phil Kessel is probably going to get traded. Uh, who is a band you want to get into but just can't for some reason? Hmm.
0: Let's see. Let's see. It's probably going to be some kind of indie band that everyone loves. I'm just such a bad. I'm such a bad music guy. Um, maybe I'll go. No, I'm going to go with an older more alternative like someone like a a band like Depeche Mode or those types of bands that everyone people who love them really love them but I'm not super familiar Sonic Youth like that kind of tier where I know I'd be cooler if I was into their music but I just I'm not that familiar with it
1: all right start with Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth go from there uh mine is Baroness uh, a metal band that I feel like I should like because they're like Close to Mastodon and Kylesa, similar artwork, and I just, I can't do it. Uh, I know Ufi Bodine's a big fan and I'm always trying to, I'm, I'm like, what am I missing? Why don't I like Baroness? But it's just not happening. Next question. How hot will you go with chicken wings? And I'm not saying as a dare, but like, what are you comfortable with? What do you prefer your spice level to be? I'm
0: very set in my ways and opinionated on spice uh, when it comes to chicken wings. Uh, I'm a medium guy because to me, if you're going above medium, it's like, you're just, you're actually taking away the taste and all you're just, you're just eating heat. And it's Mm. like, are you just trying to impress people? Are you just trying to show how strong you are, but you're actually ruining your food and you don't actually taste the flavor anymore? I like a little spice, but if you go too far, then you're just eating, you're just chewing on spice. So to hell with that.
1: Fair, fair. I will go hot, but I prefer medium. I will say I went to Duff's, a, uh, a spot in Buffalo a couple of years ago, and they actually tell you uh, what their ranking is. And I went medium. I should not have. Medium was too hot there. They they bring it to Uh Two more questions. The uh, Gatineau Olympics of the Quebec League have a new arena this year. Sontra Slush Puppy. Name a better arena name than Saltra Slush Puppy. Can you? Is it possible?
0: No, I don't think so. That's incredible. Unless you count like, okay, I'll, I'm going to say <laughs> I'm going to say the Cow Palace. That was pretty good. Cow Palace back in the day was a pretty sweet name as well. So That's I'm gonna bust one out, but I, I really like this name. That's amazing.
1: I really want to go to Santro Slush Puppy now. Uh, okay, final question. And this is puppy? A...
0: Sorry, I just had to slush see I had to say it in my head first.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Puppy. Uh
1: okay, so there is a another Wheelsblatt up for the draft in 2022. Ozzy Wheasblatt, obviously uh, a San Jose Sharks first rounder. There are quite a few Weezblatt's. Now, who is up for the draft this year? Is it Oasis, Orca, or Ollie (laughs) Weezblatt?
0: So they all have O names.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So Aussie, Orca, Oasis. Okay.
1: Ozzy has already been drafted.
0: Yes. So is it Oasis, Orca, or Ollie? Okay, so because Ollie sounds like the most logical answer because it's similar to Ozzy, it's the most realistic name. But to me, if I'm using Trivial Pursuit logic, the very fact you're asking the question to me tells me that the answer must be interesting. I think Orca's too far out there, like, uh, and... Incidental. I'm gonna say Oasis, Louise
1: You are correct because Orko Wiesblatt uh, is already in the WHL. He's actually older. Ollie does not exist unless he just doesn't play hockey and we are unaware of that Wiesblatt. But yes, Oasis, and it's Oasis with a Z on the oh. end. Yes, so I've heard good things about the young man. Sounds like he's gonna be one to watch this year in the dub. Uh, that's the end of Rapid Fire. That was a good one, You did very well, Matt.
0: All right, I'm pretty proud of myself for that deductive reasoning on Oasis. Weasblatt, well, thank you for watching and listening, everybody. That concludes the Central Division preview. Next week, we're going to do the Metro. Even though the Metro should be called the Atlantic, there are more teams on the Atlantic Ocean in the Metropolitan Division than there are in the Atlantic Division. Switch the damn team division names. But I digress. The teams that are listed in the Metro, we will preview those teams next week as we continue this series thank you thank you for listening to the hockey news podcast make sure to check out thn.com subscribe to get issues of the hockey news magazine delivered right to your mailbox